Hi, and welcome to the Jimboomba Baptist Church Sermon of the Week. We hope that you will be encouraged and challenged by this message.
I said, just to confirm, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to get too close too soon. But see, the pot plant, it was a fiddly thing, and they had really big leaves. And a few of these leaves had died and were sitting in a pot plant lying on top of each other, which amplified the sound. You get where I'm going? It amplified the sound. The sound was much scarier than what was going on. A gecko was killing and eating a cockroach. <laughs> Man in the house, a little bit afraid. A little bit afraid. What you are afraid of, or what somebody is afraid of, reveals something about the person that's afraid or the objects of which they're afraid. What we are afraid of reveals either something or both, either something about the person that's afraid or the reality that we are afraid of. For instance, if you are a grown-up and an adult and you are scared of cats, What's that say about the situation? Is that a comment about the cat or about the grown-up? Everybody? Okay, and what probably happened? Someone had a traumatic cat experience when they were a child, right? This is, it speaks something of the adult, of the grown-up. Uh, what about fishermen, experienced fishermen getting scared in a storm? What's that speak to? Is that more a comment on the fishermen or the storm? Storm. Yeah, because fishermen are experienced in boats, in storms, that's what they do. So when you hear that fishermen are scared of a storm, it's probably more a comment about the reality, about the object of that fear, that storm, than the fishermen. You're following me. What we are afraid of either reflects on us or the object of which we are afraid, or both. Or both. What would it tell us if Jesus was afraid of something? What would it tell us if Jesus was afraid of something? Something about the person or something about the object? See, I believe Jesus was the most fearless man in history. Most fearless, hands down. Uh, he had incredible trust in God, which made him totally fearless. He had showdowns with these powerful people, and he didn't flinch. And he had the best comebacks and answers. He didn't seem to get anxious or worried at all in, in, in the, the face in these showdowns. People tried to kill him many times, and he seemed to slip away. He didn't seem too worried about that. He got out of the situation. But you don't see him being afraid or fearful. Jesus even went face to face with the devil himself. And did he seem afraid? No, he faced evil and the demonic and evil spirits all the time. And he didn't seem afraid at all. He walked in confidence and authority. Jesus even in the boat with experienced fishermen who were scared of the storm, he was asleep. He was the one not afraid of this incredible reality, this storm. This guy was fearless. Even when Jesus is arrested to be crucified, we find out, arrested and this mob have weapons, he doesn't seem worried. When he is trialed by these powerful people and Pilate, the Roman governor, no fear. 
no fear. Now, this, Jesus walking in this place of not having fear or being afraid of anything, I don't think was because Jesus was some kind of emotionless man. Right? We've seen that Jesus had gotten angry before at all kinds of things. He'd been in trouble before. He'd been frustrated. He'd been tired. He'd been exhausted. He was, we've seen him sad. We've seen him grieve. We even saw Jesus cry in the stories of the Gospels. So it's not that Jesus is not experiencing fear because he is emotionless. Jesus experiences the range of emotions that humans do. But when did we ever see Jesus fearful? And obviously you know where this is going. See, the night before the crucifixion, we're told in Matthew chapter 26 that he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Jesus was troubled. He even said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Overwhelmed. This isn't the Jesus we're used to, is it? Jesus said he was overwhelmed. Jesus just trust in God more, would you? You wouldn't be overwhelmed if you just trust in God more. That's the truth for most of our situations, right? This person had complete trust in God. And he said he was overwhelmed. He even prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Does this sound like somebody who is afraid of what's coming? Maybe you don't like that word afraid of being attached to Jesus. I certainly don't. I feel uncomfortable with that. But when I look at this stuff, it's like, well, how else do you explain it? Maybe we use different words that we're more comfortable with. That he wanted to avoid the cross, didn't he? Like what was coming was so terrible in his mind that we could say he was afraid of that reality. And I don't think that was a character defect of his at all. But if you're not, if you're not comfortable with his word afraid, let's just all agree that he, he was not
challenge up for you. If you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Jesus follower, just think about this. And I pray that this keeps you up until you resolve this <laughs> in life. What other person in human history has their death so remembered, so reflected upon, so studied, so revered, so meditated upon, so thought about, so celebrated, so examined than Jesus? Nobody some of the key steps of Jesus' last hours. Okay, so the night before Jesus is crucified, he's in the garden, some of the passages we just read, the things, he's in deep anguish, and there's a lot of pain. He's praying, his disciples meant to be praying with him. They fall asleep, isn't that us, right? You know, Jesus kind of moment, and they just fall asleep, letting him down. And he is in pain, in anguish, and anxiety in the garden the night before he is crucified. In the garden, Judas brings the mob that arrests Jesus. And Jesus goes willingly. He actually offers himself. He goes, who are you guys after? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. And they fall down. And he's like, come on, guys. Who are you after? Jesus Nazareth. I told you. It's me. Leave these other men go. It's me. Does that sound like someone who's afraid? No way. These guys had their weapons and all that, but Jesus freely offers himself to go with them and says, just let my disciples go. When he is in trial, then from the garden he gets trialed by the high priest and by Herod, the quasi-king of the Jews, and by Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. And when he is before these powerful leaders, what's he do? Does he quiver in fear? No. He challenges them. Pontius Pilate, the most powerful man in the region, and he's pushing back. He's like, nah, you don't have the authority. Like, because uh, Pilate is threatening him. He's like, don't you want to talk to me? I've got authority to get you killed. And Jesus is saying, huh, the authority you've got has been given to you by someone above. Like, he's not intimidated at all by the authority of Pilate. And he challenges these people, or he's just silent. Like, who does that in front of these powerful leaders? He's not worried at all. And then we're told that Jesus is flogged. He's whipped, which is pretty brutal. And in the gospel stories, it's kind of like a passing note. We're not told much about that. And then it comes to the morning that he's crucified, and he is carrying the cross to the place that they're going to kill him. He's carrying the very cross. He's going to be crucified on. Eventually someone takes over carrying that for him. But you know what he does while he's carrying the cross? He turns to the people weeping. The women and those weeping for him. And he actually says, don't weep for me. Actually weep for yourselves because there's some traumatic days ahead for you. Does that sound like someone who's afraid? Jesus amazes him. And then Jesus goes to his crucifixion. And it's incredible 
what the sayings of Jesus on the cross, they called the seven sayings, the seven statements of Jesus on the cross. It's amazing what his sayings reveal to us. So I'm going to look at them really quickly. See, Mark tells us that Jesus was crucified sometime mid-morning. Your Bible says 9 a.m. John's Gospel says 12 noon. But that's because they're translations of, you know, their way of interpreting time, which is much more fluid than we know, they don't know what So it's sometime mid-morning that they crucify Jesus, okay? And listen to some of his first few statements on the cross. Jesus is being crucified. Is he afraid of this cross and being crucified? Well, listen. The first thing, and by the way, these statements, there are seven statements that he says on the cross. The first um, two of these statements, which is right in the middle of the seven, two are found only in Matthew and Mark. Right? They only mention one statement. And the other three are found in Luke, and the other three are found in John. Okay? So you don't get one all the seven in one gospel. They're spread across the gospel. But it's quite easy to piece, piece together the chronology of how they, they interact, okay? So his first statement was this. While being crucified on a cross, nails through his hands, nails through his feet, wearing a crown of thorns, scarred on the back from this, this whipping, he says about the people crucifying him, Father, which tells me he still felt a close connection to the Father. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Remember that? Jesus is being killed and his great love, see, when we are squeezed, when, when our character is squeezed, when we are pressured, our real character comes out, doesn't it? And when Jesus is squeezed and there's some, a lot of pressure, his character is oozing out. And you know what he does? He is praying for the very people who are crucifying him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're killing you, Jesus. How others-focused is Jesus right now? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus is being killed, and he is others-focused. The second statement we find is when the thief on the cross is talking to Jesus, and he says, remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus gives comfort to a criminal. He says, today, to tell you the truth, you'll be with me in paradise. Wow, again, Jesus' first statement, he's outward-focused for these people killing him. Jesus' second statement, he's outward focused, comforting a criminal. He means criminal eternal security. The third statement we find is we see that Mary, the mother of Jesus, there are three Marys at the cross that we're told about, but Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there, watching his son, her son be crucified. And John, the Apostle John, the disciple John, one of the top three in the twelve, is there too. And Jesus talks to his mum. And he says, woman, which is not derogatory in the day, woman, behold your son, talking about John. And then he says to John, John, behold your mother. And it says in the Gospel of John that from that moment on, John took Jesus' mum into his home and took care of him. Again, like Jesus' first statement, he's looking out for the people killing him. Jesus' second statement, he's looking out 
for the criminal being killed with him? Jesus' third statement, he's looking out for his mom. Isn't this incredible? Outward focus. Does Jesus sound afraid in any of this at this point? As I meditate on this, I don't think so. I don't know for sure, but I don't think so. But then, we're told from noon, darkness covered the land. Darkness covered the land. <laughs> the last three statements we have about Jesus happen after these three hours roughly of darkness. We're told that darkness covered the land from about noon to about 3 p.m. Again, about is very there, very approximately there. What did darkness mean? What's darkness all about? Why did darkness cover the land? Well, darkness symbolizes evil, doesn't it? Darkness symbolizes sin. Darkness symbolizes, even from Genesis 1, chaos. Darkness symbolizes lostness. In Egypt, the ninth plague, there were ten plagues in Egypt, the ninth plague was darkness. And what followed darkness? The death of the firstborn. Darkness symbolizes death. In fact, in the New Testament, we are even told that a descriptor of hell is outer darkness. Jesus was experiencing hell, outer darkness on that cross. See, what was happening in the physical, natural realm, the sun kind of going out, however that happened, was symbolic and reflective and re reflecting a deeper truth of reality in the spiritual realm. What was going on? The evil and sin and chaos were released. It, it points to the incredible truth that we're told over and over in the New Testament. That Jesus was bearing the sin of the world upon him. The evil of the world upon him. And we see that in the symbol of darkness from noon onward. And we don't hear Jesus speak. For those hours, we don't hear him speak. He seems to be bearing this evil and pain. This was, I believe, the worst evil in human history ever to happen. And it ever will have happened. This is the worst evil that could ever happen in human history. This was a bad Friday. This was a terrible, terrifying Friday. Listen to what the thief on the cross says. It says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Yeah, I'm sure he really cared about him. <laughs> Save us, that's what he's saying. Save yourself and us. But the other criminal, and I'm guessing this is the repentant one, the one that turned to The other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly. We are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done none wrong. Nothing wrong. This man has done nothing wrong. The 
realised that Jesus did not deserve what he was getting. This was totally unjust. Totally unjust. This is a dark, dark Friday. One author says this. At the birth of Jesus, there was brightness at midnight. And at the death of Jesus, there was darkness at noon. Darkness symbolises evil, chaos, lostness, sin. And there's something behind that. See, because ultimately darkness symbolises separation from God. I'm not saying the absence of God is what evil is. Evil is a real presence. Okay? But I'm saying when God is not present, evil floods in. Evil fills that void. And we're told through scripture that God is depicted as light. And Jesus came on the scene as what? The light of the world. And yet God's good timing. And yet God's, God's absence though is kind of a sign of his judgment. Depicted as darkness. And God's judgment throughout scripture, if you study carefully, is depicted as God handing people over to their own sin and evil. It's letting evil and sin take its course. When the good presence of God isn't present to bless and protect and, and bring life, what happens in return? Evil floods in and brings death and chaos and lostness and, and disaster. And this darkness represented a, a separation from God. Now, I do think God was present in some kind of way, because he was present everywhere. But there was something that happened that day, and I don't understand this. I don't think we can. Something real, where Jesus experienced separation from God. Separation from God. Remember, Jesus faced the devil face to face, and he was not afraid. Remember, Jesus cast out demons, and he was never afraid of evil spirits. Remember, Jesus faced all kinds of evil and oppression in his life, and he didn't blink an eyelid. But now, under this kind of darkness, he cries out this cry that's recorded in the first two Gospels, Matthew Mark. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? ever appropriate to say that there is fear in the Son of God, I think this would be the moment. Jesus wasn't afraid of evil. He faced it. Faced it. He wasn't afraid of anything. You know what he was afraid of? Separation from the Father. The giver of life. My God, my God, why? Two gospel writers would keep this in their school. 
actually, it doesn't really do great job for your story, does it? To justify that Jesus is someone really special and God himself and he's crying out to God over his forsaken. The only reason this is in there is because this happened. This happened. And Jesus was in great anguish. And this happened at the end of those hours of darkness. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Every scholar will point out that this is a quote from Psalm 22. Starts, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you read all of Psalm 22, there are incredible parallels between Psalm 22, the events in there, and Jesus' events on the cross. Writing his clothes, all kinds of things that are the same. And that psalm ends in victory. That psalm ends in victory. I believe Jesus knew that there was a victory coming. But this moment was the pinnacle of maybe the pain that the Son of God experienced. In 1 Peter 3.18 it says, Christ, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring you to God. See, Jesus was separated from God to bring you to God. It was the only way this could happen. And and Jesus went through the darkness, the hell of being separated from God on the cross, the outer darkness, literal hell, separation from God, total separation from God, so that we wouldn't have to be, to bring us to God. He did the work needed to bring us to God the Father. Then he said, I thirst, I thirst, which was probably a physical exhaustion thing, but also it says fulfillment of scripture, saying I thirst. And then he said, it is finished. It is finished. Something objective happened on the cross. This is not just a thing to warm our hearts. Wow, look how much God loves us. It does do that. But something objective happened on the cross. He actually defeated the power of evil, death, and sin in this world. It is finished. Hear the cry of victory there. Even though it might be among the pain that Jesus is experiencing. In his fish, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he said, I thirst. And he said, it is finished. And then Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. Did Jesus know where he was going? Was Jesus going to hell? No, he's going to be with the Father. And remember, he told the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say, we're going to go to a journey to hell or fight the devil or something like, like that. No, he fought the devil on the cross. It was achieved on the cross. Jesus went to hell on the cross. That was the pain of what Jesus went through. Remember, Jesus died and these two, two criminals are still alive. Normally it took days for someone to be crucified to death because they're dying of asphyxiation, of suffocation from being pulled by the arms and they have to raise themselves with their legs to take a breath. But Jesus died way earlier than the normal person on the cross. Why? Because he went through something that no other person went through on the cross. Separation from the life of God. your hands, Father, I keep my spirit. And he died. Jesus went through darkness so 
that the curtain was torn in two. The curtain separating the common man and woman from God's very manifest presence, symbolizing that God's presence was revealed and made available to all who would drink of his presence. And it's presumable that if we're told there was darkness on the land from noon till about three, that the sun came back out for the reader. For those who know in hindsight, there's this, this resolve that is coming. There's this resolve that's coming. See, while Jesus' mother and Jesus' disciples and those who cared for Jesus were grieving and in desperate pain, the victory was already won. He had said it was finished. Sunday was coming, and the truth of that reality would be revealed to those who love him. They would know this in time. Sunday would be the result and the proof of what happened on Friday. But there were signs that God had completed his work. The graves were broken open. The temple was made available to all. It was almost like a light just came. When the light came, something was done. The work was finished. But the characters in this play didn't know yet. The result was still coming, but we get to see with hindsight. We get, we get to we know what those signs are and that he said it was finished and that that earthquake happened and the light came back out. We know that that was a done deal. And it was just a matter of time until they would see him physically resurrected again. It was just a matter of time the church would be born by the giving of the Holy Spirit. It was just a matter of time that people would understand what that torn curtain really meant. But the work was done. And we are going to remember that right now. As the worship team come up, we're going to respond to what Jesus did on the cross before us, his great love. We're going to take communion together. And during this next song, I want you to come up and grab one of these things with some juice and a little crack on the top. And we're going to drink the juice together. Okay? After this song, I'll come up and we'll drink the juice together. So don't drink the juice yet. But I want you to come up and take this and really think about the darkness Jesus went through so that you never have to be in outer darkness, separated from God. It says that God was in Christ reconciling himself to the world. That God wasn't just separate from others. God the Father wasn't separate to Jesus' suffering. God the Father was suffering too. What father doesn't suffer when his son is suffering? So I'm going to ask you as as a way of responding to come up and grab one of these. And if this is the first time you're putting your trust in Jesus, I want you to take one of these and just stand on the front row because I'd like to come and just chat to you. And <coughs> but we're going to play this song and I'd love you to come up, grab this, take it to your seat and take a little crack of the bread in your own time. It represents Jesus' body for us. And then we're going to drink together after the song representing Jesus' bloodshed for us. Yeah? Let's worship and pray. Father, thank you for your great love for us.
And in your son, Jesus, thank you for your voluntary sacrifice for us. Holy Spirit, we are less aware of what you did that day. Thank you that you are involved too. And we know you're a great one this morning. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like more info, please see our website at jbc.org. May you know Jesus' presence with you. Have a great day and God bless.